Okay. It feels like it's been a while since we've done this. I don't know why. It hasn't been any longer than normal. No, it hasn't. I don't know. I don't know. Well, Graham, have you heard the... There's been a couple been... uh, There's been a couple of game announcements uh, in the past 24 hours. I don't know if you heard about any of them. I the Batman games? Yeah. Yeah, they're both DC related. Yeah. Um uh yeah, there's a Suicide Squad one. Uh By and the, then a yeah. Gotham Knights one. Yeah, I watched I watched some of the footage of the Gotham Knights one. Um and that looks pretty nifty. Yeah, that's actually uh being made by WB Montreal. Mhm. They did Arkham Origins. It's it's an interesting little uh scenario that we've got going on. Um so Rocksteady made the Arkham games, mm-hmm. except for Arkham Origins, which uh, WB Montreal worked on. And Rocksteady, have for the past, I think, seven years, have, have been working on a new game, which is has morphed into the Suicide Squad game. Mm-hmm. So the Suicide Squad game takes place in the Arkham universe, but Gotham Knights does not. Yeah, it's but interesting. It, yeah, if you if you've seen the trailer, like and have played Gotham or Gotham Knight, Arkham Knight, it makes more sense. Okay. Like, well, it it would make more sense for Gotham Knights to be part of that universe, but. Yeah. Because yeah, I haven't I, I haven't played Knight, but. Okay. Um, Do you mind if I spoil it for you? Sure. So uh, at the end, uh, Batman's identity identity is revealed, and then he uh, blows up the Batcave. Okay. And is presumed dead. And that's exactly like... The start is, of... Yeah, that's the start of Knights, right? Yeah. So it's a little odd. And so it's just interesting that both companies worked on the same franchise. And then, you know, like hmm. Rocksteady obviously is the, the core developer, but is developing this new entirely separate entity, but within the same universe. Yeah, it's... um interesting how like they they both worked on the same ip and then kind of the split yeah um, so there were like four different batman like from what i saw like four different new pieces of batman media media announced yesterday well it's the dc fan convention or something like that mm-hmm. so they put out you know um, a bunch of the uh movie trailers and game trailers mm. so uh, but yeah, I'm really excited. Like I like, obviously I liked Rocksteady's work. I don't know if I'll pick up Gotham Knights, but, uh, Suicide Squad is going to be like a co-op game. So it's, it, I don't know. It, sometimes it seems to me like, like, you know, in Hollywood, it's like one studio will do, be doing like a, I don't know, uh, a, a romantic comedy involving time travel. And then there's like three other romantic comedies involving time travel that get released the year after. Yeah. If it, it feels like, I don't know. Like, because Avengers is co-op. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny that, <laughs> like, and Avengers, they really didn't show off too much until, like, this year. Yeah. And it's just I mean, funny so, that they probably started around the same time. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, Suicide Squad, they've announced it, it could be played single player or co-op. Hmm. But in single player, you can seamlessly swap between the hero or the villains, if you will. Yeah. Which was actually my big complaint with the Avengers beta is that when you go into a mission, you have you have to lock in, even if you're single player, which hero you are. Um, so, and I think to me, the Avengers beta, the the parts I enjoyed the most are 
when you're in a mission and uh like you are switching through the avengers like you Mm -hmm. feel like it's the avengers tackling this this problem not oh it's a hulk mission but Mm -hmm. anyways that's my gaming news for today that i've been engrossed in so nice we could probably start the podcast now unless you have anything you want to share um i don't i don't think i have any specific gaming news no (laughs) so Uh, okay yeah let's hit the theme Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Developer Room Review. I'm Matthew. And I'm Graham. And uh, the summer of Nintendo is just blazing along. Yeah, it's uh, we've got a couple more in the pipe. Well, tonight yep. and one more? Two more. Two more. I know. I've looked at the schedule. I should know this. But yes, <laughs> we've got um, a couple more after this. But tonight we're talking about uh, Link's Awakening. The yes. remake for the Nintendo Switch. Yes. Um, would it be a remake of a remake? I mean, technically, because there was the DX version. Right, in 98. Yeah, so it's a remaster of a remake. Um, did you play the origin- originals? I did, actually. Like, I don't know if I ever oh, okay. beat them, but I definitely did play like a decent chunk of the originals. I, I have to say, like coming at it from... I've never played them. So coming at it from like this context of I, I understand it was a Game Boy game, now it's a Switch game. If obviously they're they're probably vastly different, but I, I'm very impressed for a nineteen ninety three Game Boy game to have um I guess I guess like this level of like artistry to it, if you know what I mean. How how do you it's say with, how do you mean like... like I guess more with the game's themes. Uh, and 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 story and I guess just game design. I don't know. It, it it seems very like if again I haven't played the '93 version, but if it's anything similar to what I played, I feel like it was. I feel like it would be very revolutionary for the time. Yeah, it has that kind of ethereal feel. Like, well, it's got that dreamlike quality. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and so the no, actually, you go on ahead. You sound like you had something. I did, but then I lost it. <laughs> okay. So um, the games are actually extremely similar. Okay. So they maintained, like, it's not one-to-one, uh, but, like, they preserved pretty much everything. They didn't change anything about, as far as I can tell, they didn't change anything about the structure or, like, how the dungeons are laid out. Or any of the, um, I think some things are easier. There are some like quality of life things, especially like the button mapping, like because the Switch has yes, absent like six buttons that it can use for attacks when the Game Boy had two, right? Um, being able to have a dedicated dash and attack. Although I wish there was a dedicated jump button. Um. Because I yeah, always I, had that equipped. I feel like they could have better utilized uh, um, what's the word? Like the like like switching uh, items. Because like yes, it's, it's simpler than it was in the '93 version. But like I was still constantly in and out of the menu. So like mm-hmm. even like a like a hot 
hot hot not hot wheel that's the word word i'm looking for here yeah like a radial wheel yeah yeah that would be to me the perfect thing to implement because you only have you know say eight or so items but uh yeah like i would personally argue that i feel like they didn't go far enough in terms of remaking it okay um like it was mostly a graphical overhaul i think the the best thing that they did was they made it so that multi-room areas aren't separated by screens for the most part right like you know how in um the overworld it's just one interconnected area Mm -hmm. in the original because of graphical limitations and stuff they were all broken up into like mega man style like one square like the screen is one square right right so like in any sections where there's the maze like there's the one where you have to cut chop the grass and there's pits everywhere that was like five or six screens so they they maintained it a bit in the dungeons especially when there's smaller rooms but even in even in the dungeons they actually for like a larger room or a wider room they'll merge them into one viewing area which i really appreciated it helped help things not help me not get lost as much um, now, were, were there the um, the help uh, trees in the original? Like, you know, the phone trees? You can oh, yeah. Elvira? Yeah, he's in the original. Okay, that's that's pretty impressive. Because I think this game suffers from, like, that early 90s era of gameplay design where it's like, just figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I think, honestly, I think that's one of the the parts that I wish that they had changed the most. Most specifically, because generally I found that like the the hint tree would help me, or the or the wind spirit would help me. You figure out where to go for the main quest line. But there's this quest line you have to do where you have to trade items mm. um, over and over and over again to get a, a really good weapon, but also to to beat the game. And I don't know how anybody could feasibly figure that out you don't you don't think that you need to give the bananas to the crocodile like i mean that's common sense yeah it it's i think it's asking a lot of the player to um especially it was like 12 steps it is a lot you know i mean it does give like at the end you do get did you ever get the boomerang yeah well you you have to do that quest line so yeah i did get the boomerang well you, you don't have to follow it all the way to the end don't you to get the ma- isn't the magnifying glass the last thing you get? No, there's a couple steps after the magnifying glass. Oh, then maybe I didn't. Well, I definitely got the boomerang. Yeah, the boomerang is the end result. Okay. Um, got which it. the boomerang is the most powerful oh. weapon in the game for some reason. Well, it it yeah, it kills enemies that can't be killed, which is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, so it is interesting. Like they're playing through it. And this is the same kind of experience I had with Super Mario 64. There's a lot of weird little things that I remembered that, okay. like, I remembered, oh, okay, well, at some point you have to wake up, you have to revive the dead rooster, and you have to, like, bring the chain chomp to the swamp, and, like, all these different weird little esoteric things. Um, did you know if you use uh, magic powder... On those green blobby enemies, 
like the choo-choos, the ones that are stand up and electrify you. Yep. Then you can talk to them. What? Yeah. They'll give you like little hints. What? Yeah. Um, Why? That's just something that happens that if you use your magic powder on the green guys, then you can talk to them and you can also kill them. Um, it's, um, and then like if you use magic, magic powder is one of the weirdest things in the game because you can use it on certain enemies like those, um, the bubbles, the, like the skull things that bounce around. Um, I don't remember if they're represented by skulls in this game, but the, the ones, not the ones that follow the walls, but the ones that like bounce in diagonal patterns. If you use the magic powder on them, they give you a fairy. Mm -hmm. So there's, and even stuff like, um, that bunny, do you know, I think it's an original, I don't remember if it's what game it's in. But that bunny originally could only be killed by blowing into the microphone. What? I don't remember whether that was on Link's Awakening or whether that was a previous game. But in the Japan version of the game, if I recall correctly, it could only be killed by blowing or like yelling into the microphone. And then that got changed. On the Game Boy? I'll, I'll, I'll try to look it up or something. But there's, it is, it is, I think that's the thing that bothered me is that there is all this kind of weird knowledge in the game. And it's something that didn't bother me in 64, but does bother me here. Is that like, there's all this weird knowledge that you'd have to know in order to progress. But it really isn't clear a lot of the times what you have to do. Did you ever find that you got like stuck Oh yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> all the time. Um, I, around those like innocuous little things of like, you know the the we talked about the um like the item trading quest line, who knows, uh the where you have to bring the ghost. Um, it's also really hard when you like uh stop playing after a month and then come back. The game does remind you with like those memories of like where you might need to go but even then um it's definitely like you said it's like these i don't know like these innocuous decisions of like just go here and do that <laughs> Who, why wouldn't you do that <laughs> like i don't know it's like it, it's it's just that era of game design yeah and i don't know how they could have fixed that without majorly changing the spirit or the way the game works you know what i mean yeah like, and I guess there's there's camp there's pros and cons of keeping it that way. It retains the spirit of the original, like it's it's ex an extremely faithful adaptation. Like in terms of a pure remaster, I think they did a phenomenal job, um, mm. because it it really captures the spirit of the original, um, and like even the dialogue is unchanged. The dialogue is from what I understand, exactly the same as the originals. Really? Yeah. Huh. So, like, if you're wondering why, like, some of this conversations maybe even seem a little stilted, like, that's just that's just how it was. Wow. Now, do you think a system like, uh, like, say, like a Dark Souls system, where 
players could leave messages. Do you think that would have alleviated some of this issue? Hmm. That would have been... Because that's how Dark, that's how Dark Souls get, gets around it, right? Like, Dark Souls is very much a, just figure it out, dude. And then the best way to do that, though, is, is you know, getting help from other players, right? And yeah. Dark Souls, I think, you know, uh, or I guess Demon Souls, you could say, they... I don't know if I want to say, like, coined but or spearheaded, like, Popularized. developing that community in-game. Yeah, um... I personally don't think it would have helped or I, mm. I feel like it wouldn't have gelled with the the feel that they were going for. Fair enough. Um, because it's supposed to be kind of an isolated experience. Very true. But it would have been interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I'm just trying to think of a way to, yeah. They did, they did add w- extra warp points. I'm not sure if you knew that. Okay, I find the war points uh, generally to be pretty useless. Really? Uh, well, like, I don't know. Like, they didn't feel like they were put in a place you would normally put a war point. Um, and, I don't know. And, like, you, so, you'd you you'd have to go out of your way to get the, the warp song. You did. Um, uh, it just, yeah. So, like, a, there were apparently, like, I did stumble upon some warps that I didn't realize we're going to be there because like you cut down some grass and all of a sudden there's a warp point there surprise um in the original there were only there was the warp point at the animal village there was the warp point up by the waterfall anywhere where those are like the big square ones those were the original ones okay and so the one at the village as well and whenever you played the song you would you would warp through in order of those three points Oh. So there were, they added like six or seven different extra warp points. Oh, and then the I guess the one on top of Turtle Rock. But that one's I don't understand why that one's there. Um Yeah, there's some uh, like even for being a 90s uh or whenever it came out uh game, I still feel like it was a little weirdly designed. Like hmm. When did it come out? Do you know? 93. 93. Okay, so that is only like... Zelda came out 87. So that's only six years after the first Legend of Zelda game. Well, this is the third entry? I believe it's the fourth. I think it came out just after Link to the Past. Okay. Because it's actually canonically a direct sequel to Link to the Past. Uh, That's correct. Because it's, it's it's a sequel to one of some of them. <laughs> I mean, when if we're gonna get into Zelda timeline, that's a that's a whole that's a whole other can of worms. But or is it? Isn't it? Uh, I'm pretty sure Link's, it's Link's Awakening. Link's, uh, sorry, um, Link to the Past. Okay. Does he fight Ganon in that one? He does. Okay. Which that's kind of the the final battle of Link's Awakening. One of the forms is a Ganahem or something, which was the main yes. antagonist to Link of the Past. And then the f- right. final part is, penultimate part is Ganon. Well, no, there's a form after Ganon. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, also, I did look... Which I really, I really liked the, that aspect. I didn't like that fight, but I liked the aspect of that fight. Yeah, it was like Link's fighting his nightmares. Which 
it's kind of I. I almost wonder, like, if it was the Windfish's dream or if it's Link's dream. Ah, I was gonna talk about this because I definitely feel as though it is uh, Link's dream. Yeah. Manifested through the Windfish. Maybe Mario is just a figment of Link's imagination. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could even say, like, does the Windfish really even exist? I know you you physically see him, but you know it's hot out there. Link's probably dehydrated. Yeah. You know. Could be seeing things. Yeah, because, like, why would, like, Marin and Terran show up? Like, because that's, it's a very, like, it's a parallel to the characters in, like, Ocarina of Time. And uh, was it also in Link's Awake, uh, Link to the Past? But, like, there's, they're all things that are drawn from Link's mind. Yes. Like, I wonder even if, like, the boomerang being the most powerful weapon in the game <laughs> is kind of how Link views his boomerang. Right. Like, Link is... Uh, it feels to me like Link is dreaming. That is that is the way that I interpreted it. That, um, that the bosses and the dungeons and the world itself is, you know, a manifestation of, of Link's subconscious if you will Mm -hmm. and like to me the thing that solidified that of course was the final boss when you do fight ganon yeah right like that to me is like okay well that's clearly what it is but and then uh, you meet or fish yeah which is also very um it's an interesting design if you will (laughs) um but i thought it was i was quite like it's always supposed to be like a bittersweet ending right where it's like you build this relationship to this world and then it's over uh, and you lose them, and it's it's supposed to be kind of sad, but I felt like it was also like like kind of like a meta narrative in a way of like for the player, right? Like you spend this time investing in this world, and then you beat it, and then it's done, right? And you kind of pack it up and you leave. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like this like an underlying theme of just because you know um, none of it's real. That none of it matters type thing hmm. yeah yeah it gives me kind of undertale feels too yeah well what it kind of reminded me of actually i was thinking today like making some notes to my, my in my head but like uh like it's the dumbledore quote like um of course it's a dream but does that make it any any less real i hope I'm, i hope i'm quoting that right or the, the potheads are going to be all over me um potheads but like but <laughs> I think they're called the Potterheads. Okay. But I, yeah, you know, you gotta be brief. Um, Potter, Harry Potter fans. But, um, you know, like that level of like, yeah, or no, it's all in your head or something like that. I don't know. It's been yeah, I, but the, yeah, I, I get the, the meaning behind it of, just yeah, just because it's a dream doesn't mean it's any less real. So it's right or important, right? So, um, yeah. Um, and like, I don't know if the game, like, did you feel like the game was like trying to guilt you into like waking the windfish up? I mean, the shadows, like it's weird. It's, it's both weird and makes sense that the people you are fighting are the people who want the windfish to stay awake, to stay asleep. Right. So it's, it's weird because the enemies to a point almost feel like they're on your side 
because like they're saying if you wake the wind fish everything will disappear so it right. almost seems like a self-preservation thing rather than an antagonistic thing right because really the game doesn't have an antagonist no if anything i guess it's link kind of um or or that owl I definitely got some, you know, like uh, shady vibes from the owl. <laughs> you know, like an, like some unreliable narrator vibes from the owl. Yeah. You were the only one who can wake the windfish. Mm. Like it's it's one of those what ifs of what if Link just stayed there and had a life there. Well, I guess that it begs the question. Um, you know, did 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 it really happen, or is it in Link's subconscious? Yeah, it's like it, it is is Cola Heat like a, a, a was a literal physical place, and I guess I guess I would say like with you visibly seeing the wind fish at the end of the game, I guess you could probably make a strong argument that yeah, it was probably a physical place because the wind wind fish is real. That the right? that the wind fish like is powerful enough to create a real place. Right. Or or. Yeah, or Link was the catalyst for the Windfish to develop that, or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you know about the, the secret ending, right? Where Marin's a bird, right? <laughs> or turns into a bird, or yes, yes, she is, and you see a vision of her in the sky, right? Yeah. Um, I mean that that you could say is another example or another piece of evidence that Kolahi was a real place because Marin is then. In theory, alive. Yeah. If you, if that's what you want to call it. The windfish's dream was very strong and deep, that it mm. actually created a place. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It, it, the game gives you like a weird sense of longing. I think that's the the word I would describe for, like the story and the environment. Yeah. Well, it's like this. It's like this place where nobody has any worries. Yeah. No, nobody knows like what you're doing necessarily. Um, nobody really. It's monsters aren't attacking the village. Yeah, they're just they're just kind of there. Like Marin's just singing, and people are like, "Yeah, sing it up, lady." Um, <laughs> and, and that's and that's pretty much it. Like nobody nobody has any worries or troubles. Um, and so it's this it's to me it's like a very anti zelda game where it's like you know generally in zelda it's like the stakes are really really high or you know there's doom and gloom kind of uh looming right Mm -hmm. whereas with this it's just you know if you don't want to do it don't wake the wind fish except you have to to beat the game but like um there's no i guess i guess they kind of imply negative consequences like I think there's an implication that, like, if you don't wake the wind fish, you'll never wake, and then, like, the monsters will take over the island. Mm-hmm. But again, how reliable is that if you don't trust the bird? I mean, there are monsters literally everywhere, except for it's true. in the villages. But I don't know. They don't seem bothered by it. No. I mean, one could probably argue, uh, did the monsters show up when Link got there, if it was a real place? If, if, if the monsters are... You know, drawn from Link's uh, subconscious. Yeah. That that's true. Like there aren't. I don't remember if there are any new villains other than maybe the mini bosses and the bosses. 
Yeah, it's this interesting, like... Well, it's... Psychological story, right? Or, like... Or, um... What's the word? Uh... Oh, boy. Uh... Metaphorical? Is that the word I'm looking for? Allegorical? Maybe. Something like that. <laughs> it's late. I'm sorry. I'm it's tired. okay. It's okay. Um... Well, it, it makes you think, too, like, what were the design decisions behind putting Goombas and Kirby and Piranha Plants into a Zelda game? Like, that was hasn't like, been done before, from what I can think of. Was it just like, hey, we got the assets already? Well, it wouldn't have even been that, because they made new assets. Because, hmm. like, the Goombas in in this game are very different from the Goombas in Super Mario Land. They're different from the Goombas in like Super Mario World 2 if they if there were like the six golden coins. So and Piranha Plant and Kirby from a top down view, like it's wild. It it doesn't mm. and it's not like the other has happened. It didn't happen the other way either. It's not like Moblin right. started showing showing up in Mario games, or right. Kirby starts sucking up Goombas. It's like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but <laughs> for Nintendo games, and only just this once. Yeah. Until Mario Kart. Yeah. So it's it's a strange it's it's a very well dreamlike game that doesn't make a lot of sense in a lot of ways, but yeah. Yeah, and I honestly I. I I kind of like that about it. I like that it's like this one-off story. Like, I do enjoy like the Zelda mythos and the like the repeating cycle and and the timeline. I I am interested in most of that. And generally, the games I like most about in the Legend of Zelda is when you know Ganon's involved. But I really liked for I guess this just this experience this low stakes um cartoonish childlike adventure mm -hmm. um and i think that they chose the right graphical style to kind of represent that too yeah exactly because it is that toy box view mm -hmm. and that definitely like improved the quality of life for a lot of things um i can remember in the original like checking the map every five steps because like the map is composed of like 15 by 15 squares um or like fifth fifth like 15 squared tiles of map if that makes right. sense right um and so yeah there were a few little things that i had issue with the game Okay. Um, the weirdest thing for me was diagonal movement. I don't know if okay. you felt this, but in the original and in a lot of Zelda games, um, the older ones were like, uh, when you move diagonally, your sprite would, um, you, you would essentially be like, let's say you're moving right and then you start holding up. You move up and to the right but then if you let go 
but it still feels like you're moving to the right, if that makes any sense. But when you when you move diagonally in this game, you you go diagonally. You are like locked in at that forty five degree angle. But in the older games, you could like tap up and down, and so you're you're traveling to the right, but you can kind of like strafe. It feels like. But in this game, you are you have turned and you are heading in this direction, and it's the it was the weirdest thing for me to get used to. Hmm. I I don't I don't know if you experienced that at all. I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I had some movement issues of my own, which um, it's not the game's fault, but we can get into that a little later. Okay. But um, yeah, I guess I because I never played the original, I didn't really get the sense of anything's different mm-hmm. so it um i don't know so are you saying are you saying the issue is that it like that you could move diagonally or that you were like moving diagonally when you were not intending to do so it was more that it felt less fluid mm, like okay. it felt like i couldn't be as precise in my movements because it was locked it, it's like um going back to one of the older pokemon games after you've experienced like a analog stick Pokemon game. Right. It's that, that kind of clunky nature. It feels a little weird. You were fine with it when you were playing it back in the day, but now it just feels kind of archaic. And I don't understand why they did that. I guess maybe to make it feel older Mm. because there weren't, because I mean, there weren't, um, analog sticks on the original so this is a way for them to do that but right although i don't think you could actually use the d-pad in the game i feel like trying that switch yeah i think you're right about that actually which was weird that is weird isn't it um i mean nintendo is not i've said it almost every single episode on a nintendo game they suck at controls (laughs) they don't know they, they they haven't figured it out in 30 years that there's a there's a proper way of making a controller and making a control scheme that isn't infuriating and they can't seem to get it right. Well, and the part of it is that they don't tend to conform to the the general control scheme. I know. Like um I know that there's um like I've been there, there's a game coming up that's got a really weird control scheme. I don't know if we've talked about it yet. And it's like they did not copy what was going on at the time. And it, What game is this? Uh, the next one we're doing. Oh. Or the next next one? I don't remember. Anyways. Uh, yeah. It, the, the space one. Yeah. <laughs> um, really weird control scheme. And... Uh, I mean, and then they had the Wii, and then they just got all thrown out the window. You know what else they can't do, Graham? What? They they can't they can't make a controller that doesn't doesn't work or that works properly. Okay. Because I've got the Joy-Con drift oh, in this yeah. game devastated me. It was it honestly probably sixty percent of my deaths or failures were related to Joy-Con drift. That's rough. And it's not. It really did hamper the game because, like, it's not like it's not Link's Awakening's fault. Um, it's a hardware issue, right? Um, and like, Link's Link's Awakening does have like a little bit of like a 
because it's grid based, right? Like you could you could easily like kind of get sucked into a hole. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Um, but when you uh, have the drift, you need, there's no. Not only do you sometimes walk into a hole, but Link sometimes is trying to go against your movements. Mm-hmm. So like moving to the right will never be as fast or as accurate as, as moving to the left, obviously, or moving down or up. You know, there'll be there'll be a leftward pull. So it was very frustrating. I was uh, I was not happy about it. Hmm, that is frustrating. So, um, come on, Nintendo. I hope that I hope that lawsuit goes well. Huh, the class action one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, I don't know. It's to me. It's unfortunate it's, it's that so many people. Um, but it is also funny that they created like one of the more beloved controllers ever made, like the GameCube. The Joy Cons. Oh. But but here's the thing, Graham. Do you think it's really that beloved, or is just beloved because it's the only one that actually works like a controller? Hey, um, that's a good point. It is the uh, most conventional controller that they've made. And I only think it's it's as popular as it is because melee. That's also fair. And and, and like Super Smash Bros. requires, really requires that level of uh, um, controller scheme, control scheme, right? Yeah, it, um, it's weird. They tried like a few, like they had analog triggers, which... I mean, other systems had it, but they like they have like a clicky thing with the analog triggers too. Um, yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Nintendo controllers, and then and then think of the Nintendo sixty four controller. Oh yeah, the one that you need three but hands like, for. I'll I'll give them I'll give them credit for that. The the modern perfection. Of a controller wasn't that around then no like, no they were they were striking the new shot, ground yeah yeah everybody was right and then they, it was a work in progress but like the 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 standard's been set for 20 years now get with the freaking program nintendo mm-hmm. i'm sorry you make great games but you make it so hard to play them and it's a little frustrating sometimes especially when your stuff's broken and a new set is ninety dollars. They are pricey. Like what? No one in the world. Uh, that to me is wild. But yeah. So the good news is I did. I was able to Google a fix that works a little bit, and so it's not as bad. No, that's good. The last the last couple hours weren't as bad as the the first couple. Um, I still have instances of drift, but not not necessarily as bad as before. So it's kind of like a band aid fix, if you will. Hmm. But uh, yeah, it's frustrating. And I haven't I haven't had my switch that long, or have I have not played it that much. Like I maybe have clocked a hundred hours on that thing total, maybe. So over the course of almost two years. So yeah. Anyways, that's just my little frustration for the day. Mm-hmm. No, I get that. I I don't have it, luckily, but it's uh, it would be frustrating to deal with. Yeah, you actually, I think you're the only one I know that doesn't have it. And I mean, like, I'm not a heavy Switch player either, right. and also right. like I have a Pro controller, so I've the game that I probably spent the most playing on the Switch itself is 
Animal Crossing, and right. the next up would be Smash Bros. Right. Um, and even then, I think I've I played a lot of Smash Bros on the Pro Controller. Yeah, I wonder if it's Smash Bros that does people in. <laughs> I mean, you are smashing that stick, so. Yeah. Yeah, the one my one friend who has it really bad, he's got like a thousand hours in Smash, so. Uh, that could be, but I mean, there's. They would have done stress testing and all that stuff, so it's just unfortunate that yeah. it somehow it got through. Yeah. But um so. Yeah. I guess one other one other little concern I had about the game that I got used to but threw me off at the beginning was the frame rate. Um Okay. I'm I'm not sure if you noticed it too much. I find that I'm rather sensitive to this stuff, but when you enter an area for a first time um or like if there's something really heavy on the screen the screen will drop to 30 frames per second but then after a few seconds it'll get back up to 60 did you notice that too much i don't think so so it it bothered me a lot Mm. because i'm rather sensitive to that stuff like i have to have my game either 30 or 60 but i can't do both right Pick, pick up. Um, yeah. So that actually really threw me off. Um, like almost maybe like a little nauseous at times. Wow. Because it was, it was like, this is. Sorry, that's the loudest I've ever heard my upstairs neighbors. Um, but uh, the, it, um, what am I trying to say? It, it threw me off. I wasn't expecting it. And also I wasn't expecting it in like a first party Nintendo game. Right. Like, you think of Mario Galaxy or Breath of the Wild, or like, well, actually not Breath of the Wild, but um, most of Nintendo games are really rock-solid performance-wise. Mm-hmm. So it was really jarring for me to to walk outside into an area and be like, wait, I thought this game was 60. And then it switches back and it's like, oh, okay. I guess this you is... Know, it is 60, just not all time yeah so it um yeah that impacted my my uh experience um is it just my faulty memory or are all the edges on the screen blurred oh no they they um there's some really intense post-processing happening i don't like that i didn't like it there's basically there's a really shallow depth of field do you know much about like right that kind of camera stuff? Um, I mean, not from a technical standpoint. I understand it from, like, a... I guess, like, the, the u- using standpoint or, like, experience. But, like, I don't understand how that would play out on a technical level. Yeah, like, without getting into technical stuff, it's, like, the amount... Like, the distance from the camera at a certain amount... At a certain part, it's going to be clear and a certain part, it's going to be fuzzy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got a deep, uh, uh, what did I say? Depth of field, a deep right. depth of field. That means that a lot's going to be clear. If you have a narrow depth of field, that means only certain parts are going to be clear. See, to me, like that makes sense if I'm playing something like Skyrim, where there's a lot of depth to it, you know. But it's just it's just a map. Well, it's, it's one screen. They they like they put a lot of they like they made it look like a toy box right and having right. that shallow depth of field gives it that kind of 
uh, that feel of it. Um, like, you know how... Um, have you played, like, Fallout... Well, we played Fallout 3, right? Um, New Vegas. New Vegas. New Vegas. Or 4. Have you played Fallout 4? Uh, a while ago, yeah. So, so, you know, like, if you use VATS and you zoom in on someone, right, the background gets blurry? Right. Mm-hmm. So that means that they're changing the depth of field from being a deep, which is the normal, to a shallow, which means that it's accentuating only the things that it wants you to show. Right. So there's like a, a meter or whatever that outside of this this distance, this near and far distance, it's just going to be mm-hmm. fuzzy. So that way they can focus on just what they want to show you. Interesting. And I think they also put some effects around like the edge of the screen too to yeah. to make it fuzzier. Um to me that that's the kind of stuff that like made my brain hurt. Yeah, like motion blur and stuff. Um Yeah. I I definitely I experienced a similar thing with Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Uh okay. there's a lot of motion blur on the edges of the screen. Mm. Um which made it a little hard to look at sometimes, but yeah, it's it was a very distinct art style that they were going for. Mm-hmm. It looked very good in like screenshots and even like gameplay for the most part. But it it's a good looking game. It is, I think at least. But no, I can I can get where you're coming from that it's the usability of it can be impacted. Yeah, well, just your brain. I don't know. To me, it's like my brain's like that's not right. <laughs> that's not how this should work. Yeah. And there's all sorts of cool camera things you can do. Bloom, depth of field, and... Yeah. Um, the, the, like, the game is very pretty, but... Yeah, I could see how that could be an issue. Yeah, I like... I like. It's one of the interesting things, about, interesting things to me about the Zelda franchise is the way it incorporates music... And mm. most of its games, but I would not say that like it is absolutely critical. It's just something that they like to do a lot. Um, it's often a core. It's often like a like a core part of it, or it's heavily it's, invested. It, yeah, it's it's like a a gameplay piece or or whatnot. But like you know, Breath of the Wild is not any worse for the wear of not having like an ocarina. Like it's not like critical to a zelda game it's just this thing that they like to do i find mm-hmm. that they do well like music is key and critical but um like the the use of uh musical instruments um so it's kind of this interesting thing that they have you go collect right you have to get collect the eight the eight pieces or eight instruments to wake the yeah the wind fish up so it's not like the eight gems or whatever. It's just these cool little uh, musical instruments. So yeah, and I I like the little musical ditties that they play when you pick them up. Yeah. Yeah, there the game has a strong soundtrack. I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, another thing I liked is that the penalty for death is not all that terrible. Yeah, they. I don't know. Uh, like they just get sent back to the start of the dungeon. Not even the start of the gen- dungeon. Sometimes, if you die in the overworld, it's just sent back to the the last screen you entered. Yeah, no, it's um, those. That's another quality of life thing. Right? So yeah, for sure. 
Um, yeah, no, they did a they did a good job there. Um, the game is pretty difficult. I found. Like it's. Yeah, what did you think of the dungeons, actually? Um, for the most part, I thought they were pretty good. I liked they they felt for the most part naturally solvable. Mm-hmm. Like there was like um like a logic of you know go to this room, find that, go back, go to that, go here. I mean, occasionally, I'm sure I got lost or turned around. Um, I I think ironically, like. Zelda games, in my opinion, get easier the longer they go on, just because you get more powerful and you have more hearts. So, I guess I would say midway through the game is when I feel like it started it stopped being difficult and it just started being more like heart management. You know what I mean? Like just making sure I had enough hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I could get a little bit more sloppy with my combat. <laughs> um, I mean, once you get the boomerang. It's like, mo- like a third of your uh, unavoidable heart loss is gone because he's boomerang the things that uh, can't be destroyed otherwise. So yeah, the um, yeah that, that makes it a lot easier. Uh, yeah, the the one complaint I do have is that you can get in situations where you don't have the necessary resources to defeat the enemy, and your only option is just to die. Uh, like the boss, for example, the final boss, you need magic powder to defeat him in his first stages. So if you use all that powder up, you're pooched. Uh, there's a boss of the ancient ruins that you need the crossbow to defeat. So you don't have the crossbow at that point. You just get stuck in the room with him and he has to kill you. Yeah, I had major beef with that boss. Yeah. And because Because naturally, you think, I am not going to be allowed to face an enemy that I cannot defeat right generally speaking in gameplay they're not going to set you up something you can't defeat unless there's a simple way out right like oh just go back out the door mm-hmm. um, and so when I got to that point because the windfish mentions to you hey to the north there's this to the south there is this the windfish tells you to go there so my assumption is okay I go I got to go here then I go there and I realize I've got nothing after you know, trying out literally every item I have, I can't defeat this boss. My only option is to die and then have the pleasure of, like, working my way back through this little maze that they set up to get there. Yeah. Now, I did find out from looking online that you can use a spin attack. Right, but don't you don't you need the crossbow to kill him? No. Um, actually... I've had, so I, I I tried it, and then I was like, okay, apparently I need the bow, so I went back and got it, and I kept trying to shoot him, and he wouldn't take damage. Well, you need to spin attack him to drop his shield, but don't, don't you need the arrow to take him out finally? No, no, I just beat him with spin attacks. He takes like four spin attacks, and he's dead. What? Yeah, it, it okay. made... It made no sense because, like, Graham, you, and, you couldn't have told me that when I was making my big long speech. <laughs> well, no, but like, no, no, like that's that's the thing, right? It looked like there was nothing you could do, and I think that that's one area where they really could have um, improved the game. That that's mm-hmm. one place where 
I appreciate that they made this like super faithful recreation. I think that they should have reworked how some of the things do because like having this, this enemy that you can barely kill unless you know this secret method of killing him doesn't feel good. Right. Like going to like, it says, Oh, you need to go to the waterfall and you go to the waterfall and it's like, okay, actually you need a key that you can get by going and talking to this guy who sends you over here so that you can pick up this, but you don't know that. So you have to go to the phone person and the phone person says, what like tells you right where you need to go. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Like I, it's, um, it's that the logic of the early games, but I, it, it didn't gel well for me in a modern presentation. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like one of those, there's a reason games aren't made like that. anymore. Yeah. You know, cause it didn't work <laughs> because, because they, they're like that because of the limitations of their time. And so now that the limitations are no longer there, it's, it's not engaging. It's just frustrating. Yes. It's, it's one of those things where I almost would, if there, if it wasn't such a nice, like quality of life improvement, I would probably choose the original over the remake which is a weird thing to say. Um, it, a weird thing for me to say. But like, I feel like some of the magic almost gets stripped away when you see this weird archaic game design in the, in the veneer of like a AAA game. Right. Like This was a AAA game back in 93. And it unfortunately doesn't hold up the same in now in for a, for um from a design aspect in my opinion mm. so i that was that was a frustration for me because i really wanted to like the game and especially like in the later i'd say like the last third of the game or last quarter of the game i actually really enjoyed mm-hmm. um because i had a lot of tools at my disposal i thought eagle like the eagle's tower one i thought that was super cool and clever um, and even like the last dungeon, I found it manageable and like interesting, but especially in the beginning where you only have three or four hearts and you go to the wrong place and you die right. like that, um, that kind of pushed me away a bit. So I had to power through the opening sections, uh, to get to those later ones. But I'm also coming from a perspective, from a point of, I know the game inside and out aside from the, like the last third quarter of the game. Right. So, right. So you have that added benefit. Yeah. So like I, I already knew kind of what to expect, which probably, so you're saying yeah. oh, my tips I gave you didn't matter. You already knew it all. Which, which ones? Well, there's a, you have to save up like a thousand rupees to get the bow and arrow. Yeah. And then also you need, I told you to like, look into the, did I tell you to look into a guide for the quest? You, you did tell me about the side quest, yeah. And I appreciated yeah. that. Um, <laughs> but yes, I did already know um, most of the steps of a side quest. Oh, I looked at the fool. No, no, no. Like I was mansplaining it to you. No, no, I appreciated it. <laughs> I appreciate that you're looking out 
um, for for that kind of stuff. Um, cause, cause it does catch you by surprise if you don't realize yeah. you need to pay 980 rupees. Um, I actually had yeah. to play the, uh, the raft mini game a couple times oh, yeah. to get enough rupees to, to do it. Cause I had also spent a, a little bit of money on the crane game. <laughs> did, did you play that much? I, I did play it quite a bit. I mean, I got pretty good at it. And once you're good at it, then like. No problemo. I couldn't. I couldn't get the timing of the ones on the top with the moving platforms. I couldn't mm. get that. But, mm. um, and then Yoshi kept slipping out. <laughs> oh, Yoshi. So, yeah. Oh, do you have any other comments, Graham? I don't think so. Um, Would you recommend this game? That's a tough question. Um. It's tough for me. I feel like at eighty dollars, it's a tough sell. Um, if it was forty or thirty dollars, yeah, I'd say go for it. Um, wait, uh, uh, but I'd almost. I don't know. Like, it's one of those things. It's weird and beautiful, and it's got this incredible charm to it, and this like ethereal quality to it, but. It's, I'll have to, go, I'll say yes. I'll say yes, because I think that they made enough quality of life improvements that I can still recommend it. Um, so, but it's just be prepared that it's, you, you're going to have a bit of a rough go. Hmm. Okay. Um, how about you? How would you? I, I, I guess I, I have a more positive aspect or outlook on the game, I think. Um, I would recommend this game. Mm-hmm. I would put a caveat of be prepared to load up IGN perhaps <laughs> while playing, yeah. um, because otherwise uh, you probably won't get through it all. Um, I, I guess I can kind of see, uh, you know, how it doesn't quite live up to the eighty dollars value. But I just think a lot of games these days don't really live up to that value, so I don't hold that particularly against uh, Link's Awakening. Um, I, I I think I've enjoyed it more than all the other games I've played so far this summer of Nintendo. Hmm, that's so, good. Um, I think I think it benefits from the Switch's ability to you know on off like whenever you want. It, it's very much a game that you can drop in, drop out of really quickly. None of the dungeons I found were obnoxious, you know, and that's I, I think that's a record in regards to. Zelda games of like you know there's no one that stands out to me of being like a nightmare mm-hmm. so um, I would recommend this game I enjoyed it quite a bit and I would give it I would give it a this could sound sorry for some reason I have the thought that GA is low on my list so it, I I it's not. I don't want it to sound low on my list, but I would give it a GA. I think. Okay. It's very much like this. This safe. Uh, sim- simple in a good way. Uh, kung fu experience. That's also green. <laughs> um. I I almost want to give it like a Teddy. Okay. Um, because it's. I mean, part of it's because it's got that like charming exterior. Like it's. Uh, and it's got like a lot of surprising depth and heart 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it is one of the yeah. I'm yeah. Can can I just say this? Like the the opening cutscene and oh my goodness, cutscenes of this game are be- beautiful. Yeah. It, I, I liked it a lot. It's like this art, this lost art style from like. It's like hatching, thatching, cross hatching. I think. I don't Something know what like it is, that. but it's beautiful. But it is, yeah, like this beautiful anime cutscene. Yeah, and it felt like when I like completed the game, and then the credits began to play, and like the ending epilogue, I felt very like. It, it was a good satisfaction of like, I've com- I've. I've done what I've set out to do, you know, this very, like, uh, it kind of reminded me, like, of the ending of, like, the Lord of the Rings. Like, you know, the Return of the King, like, they, they hand all the, or hand sketch all the, um, all the actors. It reminded me a bit of that, of, like, that, like, very intimately drawn, uh, ending. Hmm. So. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. So, um, yeah, I guess that's our review on Link's Awakening. Yeah, for the Switch, not for the Game Boy. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. So we're we're almost through the uh, summer of Nintendo. We've got two more episodes left that will come out in September, Mm -hmm. Um, and then uh, shoot, Graham, it's almost the it's almost the Velvety's time. I'm I'm looking forward to the games we've got lined up for the fall. I have to remind myself which ones there and what what which ones are coming first. Yeah. Um, but uh, I I am too. We've uh, solidified some options. Uh, there's some uh, fan requests in there, uh, some personal requests. Uh, some hopefully some, some oldies, long-awaited some goodies. I think. Yeah, we might get a. I guess we did. We re- review a Persona game this year. Um. Don't think. I, no, we haven't. We haven't filled our quota. I, think, I I do think though I've talked about Persona Three Dancing all night more than some other podcast whole episodes. <laughs> it's but, a great uh, game. It is. It is, and I did finally platinum it. But by the nice. way, I don't know if I told you that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's all about those modifiers, baby. That makes it uh, pretty easy to win. <laughs> <laughs> Once you know how to unlock them, it's easy to get the stuff you need. But um, yeah. So hint, hint, wink, wink. There might be a Persona game in there. I don't, I don't want to make any promises because it's a seventy-hour game, and I, I, I don't know if I have seventy hours left of gameplay in me. Hey, for a free seven? time for the rest of the year. You think? So. <laughs> Sorry. Um. <laughs> Am I lowballing it? Um. By about thirty hours. <laughs> oh my word, Grant. <laughs> See, like, I started Persona 5, all, like, a year ago or more, and I really enjoyed it, but, like, I just got busy, and so I'm, like, I'm, like, 10 hours in, okay. right? So it's, like, well, do I, do I start over, or do I just pick it up where I left off? I feel like I need to start over. I, yeah, we'll, we'll talk afterwards, but, um, maybe, okay. so, I'm looking at how long to beat. A rushed, a rushed play style is 65 hours. I'm in a rush. Does that count? <laughs> I can't. That's so. That's an extra thirty hours. Does that mean they skipped all the cutscenes, or, or they just went to bed no straight links. away each night? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, 
Oh boy. Yeah, so that might be coming down the pipe. Allegedly. Yeah. All right. Well, I think it's a good place to wrap it up. Okay. Um, thanks everybody so much for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, please let us know. Um, you can subscribe to us wherever you do get your podcasts, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or uh, anywhere else. Um, we are on the socials if you are interested in following us there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the best way to help us grow is just to tell your friends because uh, that's the best way. So, yeah, yep. <laughs> I can't make it any more concise than that. No, that's good. Uh, and so, until next time, uh, this has been the Velvet Room Review. Good night. Good, good night. <laughs> Sounds like a news broadcast. <laughs> oh, boy.